Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So, if this isn't the best thing I've ever heard, I don't know what is. <laughs> it's I'm not, certainly a great thing. I could easily make the argument that it's not good for America, but given where we are with our discourse and everything like that, yeah, what the hell. Please, um, yeah, unwind your panties and enjoy it. <laughs> so this is the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, who everybody believes is running for president and maybe the odds-on favorite to get the nomination if you know, take Trump out of the thing. But anyway, um, listen closely to what he says in front of this crowd and how they react. <laughs> you look at what's going on with, with some of the big corporations with their woke agenda. When you look at the Biden, the branded administration... a lot of things why does the governor of florida saying the biden administration the brandon administration why does that elicit so much joy from that crowd and me it's it's a a big time politician acknowledging i hear you folks i get your joke i'm in on it here's a wink that, oh my God! That ex that explosion of enthusiasm. I mean, we've announced that Chicago gets the Olympic Games. Please, the nothing, nothing. Oh, right, right, right. It's a boy. Oh, great. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I haven't heard an explosion of enthusiasm like that since I don't know when. <laughs> so let's hear it the, one more maybe time. Maybe the last, the last out of a World Series game. That is what it sounds like. The home crowd. Last out of a World Series game. That's that's pretty much it. You look at what's going on with, with some of the big corporations with their woke agenda. When you look at the Biden, the branded administration. <laughs> and then the chant begins. There you go. Awesome. So, uh... It's going to be tough to beat that up for flip of the year. That might be oh, flip of the year. The nominations are over. Pressure. The president's reply. How can, how can, is there any, is there any Biden thing Biden can do? The old jujitsu, jujitsu, hang a lantern on it, sort of flip that around somehow. Is there anything he can do Maybe with that? on his sharpest day 30 years ago. Refer to Maybe. himself as the Brandon administration. Laugh about it? Uh, well, he can try. I don't know. <laughs> and we also uh, have uh, guaranteed everybody from uh, mayor of the smallest town in America on up who's a Republican is going to adopt that now. <laughs> uh, go ahead. It's fun <laughs> while it lasts. Here's what I predict. State of the Union address this January. Biden's going to walk into the room with the entire Republican caucus chanting, let's go, Brandon. Oh, boy. Oh, no. That, no, no. Come on, everybody. Everybody got their suits on. It's, it's Come on now. Sure. Ron Johnson, Wisconsin, starts it. 
And uh, the next thing you know, the whole crowd's chanting, let's go, Brandon. Ted Cruz takes it up, and it's yeah, exactly. over. <laughs> no, 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 please, everybody. <laughs> um, oh, and I mentioned this before. I just want to make sure everybody gets this joke because I think it's so funny. Scott Adams, he's the guy who drew Dilbert, right? Yeah, yeah. He's uh, become a prominent uh, podcaster, commentator, independent voice. On the topic of giving $450,000 to every illegal immigrant who was wronged by the Trump child separation policy. four and fifty grand of taxpayer money. Families I- getting a million dollars where our fallen troops get a hundred k for their family. Which People according- will go ape dung. Which, according to the ALCU, is our administration's policy, and the president claims he's never heard of it. But anyway... Some call it the ACLU, but let's not get hung up on that. I get the letters mixed up. He got to COVID fog, folks. I do. I do. I do not feel good still. You're looking a hell of a lot better. Well, that's good. Yeah, it's a good sign. Uh, Scott Adams tweeted out, I support giving one Hunter Biden painting (laughs) valued at $450,000 a piece to every immigrant separated from their family. (laughs) That's That's some fine trolling there. (laughs) Fine trolling. So we're going to break on time for once because we got some good stuff coming back. Uh, A montage of CNN, MSNBC, and others explaining why the Republicans had such a good night Tuesday night on the election. It's all about the racism, Joe. It's all about the racism. And that absolute lie that critical race theory is being taught in any schools. It's just not, Jack. So we've got that. Then we've got a high school teacher from Indiana saying, oh, yeah, and explaining what he teaches or is being told to teach in his school. So maybe we can wrap this all up next. Armstrong and Getty. the Twitter on uh, Tuesday night, and uh, some of my favorite pundits were saying, hey, is anybody watching CNN and MSNBC? They're losing their minds over here with their explanation for why these elections are going the way they they are. No, it can't be that um, parents actually hate critical race theory or all these different mandates or all these, you know, all these different things Mm -hmm. or taking Lincoln's name off of the high school. No, it's got to be white supremacy. You know, I'm looking at a tweet right now that uh, Wichita, Kansas, where we started our careers together, uh, a coalition of parents went a clean sweep on the school board, rejecting the whole CRT BLM thing and the gender chaos and the rest of it. They had a clean sweep. And one of the replies to it was white backlash over loss of social dominance. You know what? I pray the Democratic Party keeps thinking that. Wow. They'll never win another election. Well, this is pretty long, but here's a little montage of what they were talking about on the lefty channels on Tuesday night. Glenn Youngkin played the race card for a reason, because he knows it works on certain white voters. He did stoke white grievance politics to mobilize the Republican base. He's laundered Trump's really sort of disgusting, flagrant out-racism. Yep. He's wrapped it in education. Yep. Education, right. which is code for 
White parents don't like the idea of teaching right. about race. That's the fundamental problem for these parents and this anti-CRT movement. They don't like the way whiteness is being portrayed in these new, more inclusive lessons. Yeah. This wasn't about those pocketbook issues. This was about how white kids feel talking about what black kids go through. The subtext of all this was we can't let these black and brown people run the country. Glenn Youngkin running on critical race theory that he knew hit a chord around race. I think all the CRT stuff is trumped up dog whistling. Some of it was uh, dog whistle racism. The dog whistle messaging that you saw Youngkin engage in during the course of the campaign. CRT is in the, the latest line of school busing, cross-town busing, um, welfare queens, you have it, it's in that same, it's in that same line, and you saw it in the, in the results in Virginia. This more palatable Republican who still uses the same racist themes that Trump did, he just packaged them in a soccer dad sweater vest model. He's found a way to launder a pretty racist trope, this idea that we cannot talk about America's history because it hurts my feelings. He's turned that into a campaign. White voters do have anxiety mm -hmm. about a changing America, right? Oh that it God. is blacker, it is browner. You've got the Republicans yelling like, hey, look, the black and brown folks are coming for us. Some Republican candidates are perfectly willing to use race as a motivating factor for their base. That has gone on for decades and it happened this year. Race is just the most palpable tool in the toolkit used to be of the Democratic Party back right. in the day when they were Dixiecrats, and now of the Republican Party. This is about the fact that a good chunk of voters out there are okay with white supremacy. Let's call a thing a thing. Actually, scratch that. They are more than okay. Wow. I, that's just unbelievable. Oh, so incredibly out of touch. Hour after hour on Tuesday night on some of the, your uh, your main cable channels, just just discussing with just obviously this is white supremacy is what's going on here. Mm -hmm. That's what's going on. They're unwilling to talk about race in America. That is that is one of the dumbest, most disingenuous arguments I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, because that radical brand new framework is the only way you could possibly discuss race. Okay, sure. How stupid would a person have to be to be bamboozled by that dumb argument? Well, then how about the notion that uh, white people are scared because of the browning of America and they just see that the black and brown people are coming for them? What are you talking about? Mm, I don't know. Anybody, not so much. <laughs> I don't know anybody who thinks that way. Not one person. You'd think if that was the overall feeling of white people in America, I would know at least one person that feels that way. But I don't know a single person that feels that way. Well, let's focus in on the idea that it's a fiction that critical race theory is being taught in our schools. It's a white fantasy that, that, that their kids are being indoctrinated. It's not happening at all. Well, here's Tony Kinnett. He's an administrator for the largest school district in Indiana, talking about what uh, they mean when they're talking about we aren't teaching critical race theory. I'm the science coach and admin in the largest public school district in Indiana. I'm in dozens of classrooms a week, so I see exactly what we're teaching our students. When we tell you that schools aren't teaching critical race theory, that it's nowhere in our standards, that's misdirection. We don't have the quotes and theories as state standards per se. We do have critical race theory in how we teach. We tell our teachers to treat students differently based on color. We tell our students that every problem is a result of white men and that everything Western civilization built is racist. Capitalism as a tool of white supremacy. Those are straight out of Kimberly Crenshaw's main points, verbatim, in Critical Race Theory, the writings that formed the movement. 
This is in math, history, science, English, the arts, and it's not slowing down. If students of color have lower reading scores, it's because of inequity. Therefore, we take from the white students and give to the color students. That's Richard Delgado, straight out of CRT and introduction. All teaching is political, with reality and facts taking the back seat. That's Dr. Gloria Ladson-Billings, who outlined how she saw critical race theory flushed out in public schools in 1995. So let's, let's hear his summary here, this administrator from Indiana. When schools tell you that we aren't teaching critical race theory, it means one thing. Go away and look into our affairs no further. It isn't about transparency. It isn't about cultural relevance. It's race essentialism painted to look like the district cares about students of color. We call it anti-racism, so you feel bad if you disagree with our segregationist pedagogy. It's taking advantage of kids' vulnerability and parents' inactivity to preen over social snake oil schemes designed to create division. Parents, when we tell you critical race theory isn't taught in our schools, we're lying. Keep looking. Wow, that's great. Well done, sir. I can't get over that montage of... uh... It's white people who are scared that the, the the browning of America and their dog whistles for white supremacy. Your candidate in Virginia said parents have should have no role in what is being taught in their schools. That's why the guy lost. All right. It has nothing to do with white supremacy. You moron. Not only that, but they're so willfully ignorant or so ideologically blinded that they ignored the election of the uh, lieutenant governor. Winsome Sears, who is a black woman, and the voting is separate for governor and lieutenant governor. It's not a ticket. It's separate voting. And, you know, let's let's hear from her. We didn't play this yesterday. Michael, give me uh, from her acceptance speech, clip number 21, please. There are some who want to divide us, and we must not let that happen. They would like us to believe we are back in 1963 when my father came. We can live where we want. We can eat where we want. We own the water fountains. We have had a black president elected not once but twice. And here I am, living proof. And then in clip 22, she wants to send a message to left-wing media. What I want for us as black people, just leave us alone. If you want to vote Democrat, then do so. You want to vote Libertarian, do so. Whatever you want to be be it. This is America. This is freedom. Who died and left you in charge of all of us as black people so that we could be corralled into doing what you want us to do? I thought you said that you were the tolerant folks. So the white supremacists elected a black female to be the lieutenant governor. Exactly. And she's saying, hey, it ain't 1950 around here. Why don't we recognize that? Well, right. Not only that, but uh, she's uh, she's saying, who pointed you to tell us how to vote, my friend, Um, which is an excellent point. They would say they would. Oh, Jack, they have. Please. They're advanced in their thinking. They would shoot back. Yes, this poor black woman has internalized white supremacy. She is trying to become the model Negro to to uh, conform to the white supremacist view of the world, as many black people have forced themselves to do. They would say that, and they would be completely convinced they're right. Now, some of these people are being dishonest because they know it's a good political wedge, or they thought it was a good political wedge, until they lost Virginia, almost lost New Jersey, lost Buffalo, New York, lost Seattle, lost all sorts of measures and, and mayoral races and all sorts of stuff around the country. Um, because and of I white think, supremacy. 
Yeah, right. Um, I think a lot of those who are just using this as a tool in democratic politics are thinking, uh-oh, doesn't work anymore. But the true hardcore ideologues who believe this filth, they're going to be pitching it harder than ever. How about the journalists, though, from that long montage we played? Do they believe that? Do they yeah, actually they believe do. that? Oh yeah, they absolutely get awarded social, rewarded socially for for uh, parroting those views at their cocktail parties at the sideline of the soccer game there in the richest suburbs in America surrounding D.C. Uh, yeah, they I think they they believe it or or they want to be thought to believe it. It's a status symbol. It just recouched Trump's white supremacy in a in an easier to take sweater vest. Yeah, sure it okay. did. Keep keep thinking that. Keep saying it. Keep tweeting it. He ran on lower taxes, and parents should have a say in what's taught in the schools. Okay? That seems like a pretty popular platform. Among Klansmen, you mean. <laughs> Among white supremacists. Well, it was like who the Who voted the for lefties. a black woman? It was like the lefty morons who kept saying the only reason Trump was elected was uh, was racism. And, you know, there were various folks uh, on the left side who kept screaming, it's a lot more complicated than that. Wait, listen, over here, over here, over here. But they could hardly get anybody's ear. I have no idea how this is all going to shake out over time. I really don't. I mean, I haven't got the slightest idea how this is going to turn out. I think the Democratic Party is in serious, serious trouble. Whether the Republicans can govern worth a damn is an entirely different and wide open question. If you miss an hour of the show, you can pick it up on the podcast at armstrongandgetty.com. The Armstrong and Getty Show. This test that occurred a couple weeks ago is only one of a much, much broader picture of a military capability with respect to the Chinese that is very, very significant. That's uh, General Mark Milley there talking about the hypersonic missile test by the Chinese uh, last week or whenever it was. Yeah, and then uh, more on the report that came out yesterday that they're building nukes as fast as they can. And uh, Millie was asked about whether or not or when China might move on Taiwan. He said he doesn't think in the next 6, 12, or 24 months. Okay, well, in the next two years, World War III won't start. Well, that's good news. Well, not only that, as you pointed out earlier, they also said uh, Kabul would last for two years and not barely a week. Yeah, I, I I think this whole when is China going to invade Taiwan thing is taken so lightly as a conversation. Is it going to be in six months or 12 months or less than six years or back and forth? If China does that, and, and when might be a better word to say than if, because every indication is that they, they plan to do that. When China moves on Taiwan, the rest of the free world led by us, has the biggest decision to possibly be made in the history of the world. Yeah, maybe. Which is to whether confront that or let them have it. Because if we decide to just let them have it, the world changes overnight. And China is as dominant as the United States for about half the globe. And that's a heck of a, that's a, heck of a thing. 
So there is a great deal of ground covered in the DOD's uh, brand new report on military and security developments involving the People's Republic of China. We're going to touch on some of the highlights in just a second, but Jen Griffin had a good report on specifically nuclear warheads. A startling data point from the Pentagon's annual report on China's military. By 2030, it will have 1,000 nuclear warheads in its arsenal, far outpacing earlier Pentagon projections in the low hundreds. We're witnessing one of the largest shifts in global geostrategic power that the world has witnessed. And if we, the United States military, uh, don't do a fundamental change to ourselves in the coming 10 to 15 to 20 years, uh, then we're going to be on the the wrong side of uh, a conflict. Wow, so beefing up their nuclear arsenal as fast as they possibly can. Is that just defensive or, you know, they're afraid of the U.S. or whatever? You look at the rest of the document, and it's pretty clear. I mean, the, the section that's labeled China's national strategy, the People's Republic of China, the PRC strategy, aims to achieve the great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation by the year 2049 to match or surpass U.S. global influence and power, displace U.S. alliances and security partnerships in the Indo-Pacific region, revise the international order to be more advantageous to Beijing's authoritarian system and national interests. This strategy can be characterized as a determined pursuit of far-raging efforts to expand the PRC's national power. Yeah, strategists believe, and and I've heard their arguments, they make sense to me, that if China moves on Taiwan and we don't react, Australia and Japan and others are immediately under the thumb of China, unless they're willing to go to war on their own, and they would lose. Um, China, Japan, and all shipping that goes through that part of the world, which is a lot of it, would be under control of the Chinese, and they would determine what gets shipped when, what you pay for it, etc., etc. The world would change dramatically overnight if we decide not to fight them. By the way, we never gave any context to this earlier, and we probably should. So that report there that China might have a 1,000 nukes by the end of the decade, um, how many do they currently have? Well, it's believed that they have about 350. How many do we have? 5,550. How many does Russia have? 6,255. How many does anybody really need? Ten. Always been a question. And those numbers pale in comparison to the numbers in the 80s. In the 80s, I'll I'll have to look that up. But in the 80s, we and Russia both had way more than that. I mean, it, it got silly for a long time, but the arms race continued of how many times do you need to be able to destroy the entire planet's population uh, you know, at what what are you doing at this point? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So one of the more interesting uh, little points in the foreign policy summary is the PRC recognized that its armed forces should take a more active role in advancing its foreign policy, highlighting the increasingly global character that Beijing ascribes to its military power. So look for them to be, uh, uh, you know, cheek bajowl with our forces in some places, and we'll see how that goes. Then they get into the military-civil fusion development strategy. This is part of their whole-of-society deal, where every company, every business, every factory in the country is at the service of the Chinese military the moment they need it to be, and that they need to integrate it all to make sure that they are serving the great military master. Um, Unmistakable mission there. And then they get into uh, the size of the People's Liberation Army, about 975,000 active duty personnel. Uh, by the way, their total military is like 2 million people. 
The uh, Navy, numerically the largest Navy in the world, with an overall battle force of approximately 355 ships and subs. Get into the Air Force, the Army Rocket Force. Uh, They're developing new ICBMs that will significantly improve their nuclear-capable missile forces and will require increased nuclear warhead production, which they are more than willing to do, as uh, previously reported. Then they get into the Space Force, and then, chillingly, uh, uh, past the nuclear capabilities, there it is, chemical and biological research. Biological and toxins weapons convention. I know some of you are thinking, yeah, like COVID. I don't agree with you. But it's not because China would never do anything like that. Please, please. If they killed 50 million people around the world with some disease they unleashed, including, say, 5 million Chinese or 10 million or or whatever, if that serviced them getting further on their road to world domination, which they believe the world or history owes them, that would be fine with Chairman Xi in particular. Without a doubt. So I looked it up for you to give you some perspective. So we have about... 6,000 nukes. Russia has about 6,000 nukes. China has 300-some. They're looking to get to 1,000 by the end of the decade. What was it like at the peak of the Cold War? At the peak of the Cold War, we had about 23,000 nukes. Wow. And the Soviet Union had 40-some thousand nukes. That's insane. <laughs> How do you like those numbers compared to today? Wow. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Now, I get, just strategically, you want enough that if the other guy comes at you hard, you're sure you have some left over to retaliate with. Um, But 40-some thousand? That was the whole dead hand philosophy, that everybody's gone and dead, but you got computers still launching missiles (laughs) to get the last word, I guess. Oh, I thought that's like if you wake up in the middle of the night sleeping on your arm and, and it's all numb. I thought that was the dead hand strategy. <laughs> the strategy is you change positions. And, um, you know, we were, we were a hair trigger uh, many, many different times of uh, going to war with the Soviet Union with those levels of nukes. It's amazing that the world survived that. And what's even more amazing, it's been written about uh, by uh, my, 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 some of my favorite people. This guy, Steve Kotkin, wrote a whole book about it. One of the most amazing things that's happened in world history. And some of it was luck, and some of it was brilliance by people like um, uh, George H.W. Bush, for instance, in in handling the fall of the Soviet Union. But the fact that the Soviet Union, who had 40-some thousand nuclear warheads, collapsed without that being a world catastrophe, and all those arms falling into the hands of bad guys or somebody launching them or something like that, is just absolutely amazing. You could run that experiment a thousand times and not end up with the result we ended up with. Wow, that's a great point. Is there a, a great book about yeah. that? There have yeah, got to be is. several. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Kotkin, K-O-T-K-I-N wrote the book. I don't remember what the name of the book is. I could look it up. but It's Moby Dick. Um. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, so a lot fewer nukes on the planet now, but still plenty, plenty to obliterate everybody. So those of us of a certain age who kind of got comfortable with the whole Cold War thing, yay for our team. Well, it's back whether you like it or not. With with a different face, and 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 uh, instead of the rather weak, halting, sputtering, producing fictional tractors Soviet Union economy, you've got the explosive, gigantic Chinese economy fueling the whole thing. So, and look we're at, all going to cheer at the Olympics in January, as and then Beijing. buy lots of Chinese-made products. <sighs> Something well. 
How about something funny? If you haven't heard the crowd chanting, let's go, Brandon, <laughs> at the Governor DeSantis rally, you got to hear this. It's coming up next. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Strong competition for Clip of the Year. I don't know if anything's going to beat this for Clip of the Year. Governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, who's running for president, guaranteed in 2024. He's the one that's uh, been anti-mandate on masks and all that sort of stuff. Crowd loves him. You'll you'll hear that here in a second. (laughs) Listen closely to what he says and the way people react. If you look at what's going on with, with some of the big corporations with their woke agenda, when you look at the Biden, the branded administration. Wow. Wow. The enthusiasm. It's amazing. The energy. People went nuts. What is, what is the what is the recipe of enthusiasm there? Some of it is the usual political. I like your politics better than Joe Biden's politics. Sure. But there's also the mix of the trolling <laughs> joke well, yeah, the, part of the it. The governor of one of the great states of the union, one of the most populous states of the union, just said, I'm totally down with your joke. Yeah. People love that. Uh, speaking of chanting, this just happened moments ago. So Joe Manchin, who's holding up Build Back Better, uh, for for all the right reasons in my mind, walked the out of the Senate. Turn building. America into Venezuela bill. Yes. Yeah, he's holding that up. Thank God he was confronted by climate activists. Sounded something like this. We want to live. We want to live. We want to live. We want to live. So he's walking through this crowd, all chanting at him, we want to live, go ahead. (laughs) You apparently are. So all these college kids in their beanies, and one of them's got a tom-tom. So they believe climate change is going to kill them in their lifetimes, and the way to fix it is this Build Back Better monstrosity, and Joe Manchin is stopping that from him. Do they actually believe that? Yeah, I, I think they, they probably do, because they're college numb nuts, just like all of us were when we were young. We kind of barely understand what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the giant monstrosity, which includes, admittedly, hundreds of billions of dollars toward uh, alleged climate change, you know, uh, fixing policies and and alleged is a stretch even uh yeah they they think it must pass well they've been told since they were tiny tots that it's an existential crisis it threatens their existence therefore their chant we want to live we want to live so do i (laughs) so have you ever heard is tree equity still in there did that get pulled out oh gosh the fact that we don't know that is part of the wonder of this thing that trillions of dollars are going to be spent and nobody really knows and i mean nobody including the people voting on it what's in what's out 
And as we mentioned earlier in the show, how do major programs get yanked out of it now and then or put back in now and then and the total stays the same? That doesn't make sense. Well, right, yeah. Nancy announced the other day, uh, Universal, Ch- or I'm sorry, uh, four weeks, is it? Uh, mandated uh, leave, child leave, whatever they call it. Uh, that's back in. But the price tag didn't change. Wait a minute. What is that? How does that work? And, and actually, uh, Joe Manchin has made it absolutely clear that that sort of idiocy, that lack of adulthood in Washington, D.C. is one of the reasons, one of the main reasons he can't get down with the plan. Michael, play me 34. This is uh, Brett Baer and Joe Manchin. Moderate Democrats, were told, are irate that they are having to fillet 2,135 pages of new legislation on the fly. Quote, we resent it, said one moderate Democratic source. This is only strengthening our resolve. What do you say to those moderate I would say to all of my House friends on both the Democrat and Republican side, but speaking to my Democrat sides, there has to build some, build some goodwill. Let them vote on the infrastructure bill. Take the time to work the reconciliation bill the way it needs to be worked, the CBO scoring, talking more about the effects it has all through our economy and all through people's lives. That's something reasonable to ask. I understand that. And I'm not going to tell anyone how they should run their end of this Congress of ours. And uh, Nancy Pelosi is very capable. I know her. She's, I get along fine with her. We just you know, maybe come from two different parts of the country and two different ph- philosophical beliefs. Kill the bill! Kill the bill. Let the CBO score it. Let's figure out what it costs. What are the effects going to be on the economy? At another point, he talks about inflation. You know, Jerome Powell spoke in August, the the, uh, the chair of the, uh, the Federal Reserve, and he said, listen, and I could give you the details, but huh, I don't, I'm not in the mood. But in his speech in August, he said, look, this inflation thing, it's transitory. Here are three main reasons why. And the Wall Street Journal just went through his speech again and pointed out how his three main points all turned out to not be true. Whoops. So, yeah, we have the the, the giant the, the specter, like a, like a scary Halloween movie of inflation looming over us, ready to strike. And Joe Manchin is saying, hey, you see that looming specter there? Let's figure out if we're feeding it with this thing. And I appreciate it. The biggest catastrophe in the history of the United States, most expensive catastrophe anyway, hit the pandemic. We've already spent $6 trillion. We shouldn't spend any more money at all. Nope. You should kill both bills. We should cut an S-load of money out of the federal budget. With your hosts, Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. That's art right there, man. It's postmodern. Yeah, it's mm. postmodern art. Sandy Kaufman art. Yes. Here's your host for Final Thoughts, Joe Getty. Let's get a final thought from everybody on the crew. He's our technical director in the control room, presses the buttons, keeps us on the air. Michael Angelo, what's your final thought? Okay, the Let's Go Brandon. It's cool when DeSantis did it, but... Not everybody's going to look cool doing it. I know somebody's going to try it, and they're going to look stupid or do it yep. poorly. And at some point, it will jump the shark. Yeah, you're right. Of course, as all things must, but let us enjoy it while it lasts. Behind the uh, scenes producer, young Alex, weighs in with a final thought. Alex? 
you know, Buster Posey is announcing his retirement today. One of the greatest catchers I've ever seen. The greatest San Francisco Giants since Willie Mays. That's my hot take. Not too strong. It's a drag. A drag. Selfishly resigning or retiring to raise his children and raise money against childhood cancer. Uh, Jack, do you have a final thought for us? We all need to embrace the meme economy or just the meme civilization. Memes are everything. They're the, they're the way the world works now. You need to be on board with whatever meme is hot at the time and figure out how to profit from it, either politically or financially. If it's a stock, the meme economy exists. Well, speaking of that sort of thing, and I mentioned this earlier, terrible news if you plowed your life savings into squid coin, the virtual, uh, what do you call it? The virtual currency. Uh, currency, exactly. That was built around the squid game craze. Uh, evidently, the people who organized that stole all the money and disappeared. There's a shock. <laughs> if you lost all your money on squid coins, stop by the station. I got some magic beans. I'll sell you cheap. You plant those things, you'll be rich in a week. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. So many people who thanks so a little time. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. Get yourself a Let's Go Brandon t-shirt or hat or... Or hoodie wildly last. Hit us with an email mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. We will see you tomorrow with whatever the latest is then. God bless America. Point of personal privilege. I think that right now, um, you know, the honeymoon's over. It's a little too much docky dog. Do you understand? I cannot understand the word you're saying. Look at the Biden, the Brandon administration. <laughs> That was quite something. I think that there's something else that's happening. Some broadcast reports called Mayor Garcetti a waste of time. Waste of skin. You waste name it. S- yes. Take his skin. <laughs> Give it to those who could use it more productively. Mm. <laughs> Thank you all very much. Armstrong and Getty.